Father, I know it's not enough that we uh, know what your truth says. I know it's not enough to even believe what your word says is true. It's not enough just to affirm it in our minds. Lord, we need to love your truth. We need to embrace your truth, and we need to live your truth. And Lord, I know that only your Holy Spirit can do that work. So uh, will you please, will you be pleased to uh, incline our hearts to receive your truth and believe it and love it and love you uh, above all things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it up to uh, the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. It's one of the shorter books from the Apostle Paul, written to a church, a group of believers in Jesus, in a place called Thessalonica. And we're going to be in chapter one again. Um, Our our series is entitled Future or Fairy Tale, What the Bible Teaches About the Afterlife. And we're going to be exploring something today that at first might sound a little off topic, but the connection will become clear I hope, as we, as we go on, should become clear. In chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is reminding uh, these believers how they became believers. He talks about when he and his co-workers first came into town and proclaimed the message, the good news of Jesus and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they received that message and believed and became uh, people who trust in Christ uh, by faith. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 1. Paul says, you Thessalonians, you became an example. Notice that. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Those are the regions surrounding Thessalonica. For not only has the word of the Lord, the message of the Lord Jesus, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, we've looked at this passage a couple of times already in the series, and We're going to look at it again today because there's just so much here. And what I want to do today is zero in on the truth that there is a God who is living and true. There is a living and true God. Now, as soon as you say that, you imply that there are other gods that are not living and not true. And that is exactly right. You see that here. Uh, The Thessalonians, in turning to God, it says, turned away 
from idols, that is, from other gods. And this, this is an example of one of the most prominent, recurrent teachings in all of the Bible that worshiping idols or idolatry, worshiping other gods, is bad. It's bad. It's not just wrong. It is wrong, but it's, it's more than wrong. It's bad. It's bad like murder is bad. It's bad like child abuse is bad. It's bad like uh, addiction is bad, meaning it's destructive. It's harmful. It's hurtful. And the Bible repeatedly tells us to have nothing to do with other gods, with false gods, with idolatry, because it's bad. When God gave to the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, the first two deal with this. The very first two say, don't worship other gods and don't make idols. Don't make images out of stone of other gods or metal or wood or whatever. And yet the Israelites, as we read through uh, scripture, we read the history, they violated these two commandments again and again and again. They made idols, they worshiped idols, they got engaged in idolatry, and because they did, because they broke these commands, terrible things happened to them again and again and again, just all kinds of awful stuff because they got involved in idolatry and worship of false gods. Right here in Thessalonians, Paul says that these believers... Now remember, he, he holds them up and says, you guys are an example. You guys are an example to everybody of what real faith looks like, what, what genuine faith in Jesus looks like. When they became believers, they turned from idols, away from idols, to turn to Jesus. And the clear implication is that had to happen. That was necessary because... Worshiping idols is bad. Well, why is that? Have you ever thought of that? Does that seem like a really dumb question? Like, what's wrong with idolatry? What's so bad about it? Well, what if you were sharing the message of Jesus with someone from a Hindu background? Someone who's accustomed to worshiping multiple gods and this person were to ask you, okay, well, yeah, it sounds like Jesus is a God worthy of worship. Why can't I just add him to all the rest of them? Why can't I just worship Jesus and the other gods I worship? What do you, what do you think you would respond? How, how do you think you'd answer that? Or, or maybe if it doesn't sound like a dumb question, maybe it just seems completely irrelevant to your life because I'm guessing that you probably don't have any idols around your home. And you may say, idolatry, that's not an issue for me. That's not a problem. I don't have any idols. I don't, I don't worship other gods and so on. It's not an issue. Don't be too sure. Don't be too sure. Just because you don't have any idols in your home doesn't mean idolatry is not a problem for you. Just because you don't have any idols in your home doesn't mean you don't have any idols in your heart. And that's a much 
bigger issue. This issue of idolatry is far more relevant to our lives than we might be willing to admit or even recognize. We really do need to know how to answer this question. What's so bad about idolatry? So that's what we're going to focus on today. What's so bad about idolatry anyway? I'll give you some reasons. Hopefully we'll answer that question. Reason number one, unreal gods will keep you from the real God. Unreal gods will keep you from the real God. When verse 9 describes God as true, that word means real. It means genuine. It means authentic. It means he's the real, actual God who is there, who exists. As opposed to gods that are false, gods that are counterfeit, gods that are unreal. An idol is an unreal God. And there are countless idols in our world that people worship, including many things we might not recognize as idols, as unreal gods. Pastor Tim Keller, Redeemer Church in Manhattan, which you would think, Manhattan, if anywhere, idolatry is not going to be a problem. You're not going to find people worshiping idols. You know, sophisticated Manhattan. Well, he wrote this book, Counterfeit Gods, which I highly recommend. And he points out that even though most Americans don't worship idols made out of stone or, or metal or wood, we are just as susceptible to idolatry as any tribal group on the planet. We just do idolatry differently. Okay, I want you to listen to some of what he says here. Actually, I want you to listen to all of what he says that I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Quote, when most people think of idols, they have in mind literal statues. Yet, while traditional idol worship still occurs in many places of the world, internal idol worship within the human heart is universal. The human heart takes good things like a successful career, or love, or material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Notice that. We take good things and turn them into ultimate things. We think idols are bad things, but that's almost never the case. The greater the good, okay, so, so the more good, I know that's bad grammar, but the more good something is, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, even the very best things in life. So just because we don't have idols of stone and wood in our Houses doesn't mean we don't have any idols in our heart. Because we can make an idol out of just about anything. We just turn it into an ultimate thing instead of just a good thing. 
Now you say, well, that's interesting, but is that actually in the Bible? Does the Bible use the word idolatry to talk about that kind of thing? Yes, it does. Actually, here's an example in Colossians 3.5, internal heart idolatry. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, now look at this, and greed, which is idolatry. Well, greed's not a statue. It's an attitude of the heart. What is greed? Greed is the love of money. It is the love of acquiring wealth. Well, okay, I can understand why greed is bad, but how, how is it idolatry? How is loving money equal to worshiping an idol, a false god? I don't know about you, but I've never actually seen anybody take out a stack of $100 bills and you know, put it up on a shelf or something and then bow down to it. You know, worship it in that sense. Have you? We'd go, weird. Okay, but see what that is? That's a very superficial notion of what worship is. It's a very mechanical view of worship. Worship is giving someone or something first place in your heart. Worship is giving something ultimate value in your life. And you can do that with money, you can do it with a spouse, with children, with power, with sex, with achievement, with pretty much anything. Let me quote Keller again. He says this, what is an idol? Okay, What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God Anything, this is key, anything you seek to give you, what only God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. Or you could turn it around. An idol is anything that you say, without that, my life would really not be worth living. Now here's the point. Only one thing can have that place in your life of supreme importance. There's only room for one thing there in your heart. This is why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. He didn't say you shouldn't. Obviously, you shouldn't, but he said you cannot. You can't do it. Why? Because only one thing can have first place in your heart. And if it's money, it isn't God. If you rely on money or your career or your family or your friends, if you rely on something else to satisfy your deepest longings, to make your life worth living, then you're not relying on God for that. And that thing that you're worshiping, whatever it is, whatever you're attributing ultimate value to your life, that's an unreal God, and that keeps you from the real God because there's only room for one God. 
at the top. So the question we all need to ask ourselves, what is it you really value above everything else? What is it that has supreme importance in your heart? Is it the true God, the real God, the God who is real? Or is it something else that you have taken and turned into an idol? Unreal gods will keep you from the real God. Here's another reason. Unreal gods, the reason idolatry is bad, not only will it keep you from the real God, worshiping unreal gods, Unreal gods will fail you. They will fail you. Sooner or later. Verse 9 also says that the true God, the real God, is living. See that? He's the living God, which implies that unreal gods are not. Well, obviously that's true of literal idols made out of stone, metal, wood, But the fact is, even if you make an idol out of a living person, if there's there's someone in your life that you're giving ultimate value to who's, you know, alive, they don't have life the way God has life. Okay, it is a a different quality, a different uh, category of life because God's life is self-sustaining. God has life in himself. His life is eternal. Our life is dependent. Our life is derived. We get our life from him who is the source of life. Or to say it another way, only God can give life in this ultimate sense. Only the real God, only the true God can give you the life that you need, the life that I need. And so the point of this is uh, idolatry is not only sinful, it's really, really stupid. It's just stupid because you're looking to something to give you life that can't. I don't know if you know this, the Bible... The Bible not only prohibits idolatry, it not only uh, forbids it, it not only condemns it, it actually mocks it as ridiculous. It does it again and again. There's some really funny passages to read where the prophets or the psalmists are mocking idol worship. Here's an example. Okay, this is from the prophet Isaiah. This is about a man who carves an idol out of a log, a tree trunk. It says this, Isaiah 44, 16. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. Verse 19. Nobody stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, let's see, half of it I use for fuel. I even bake bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what's left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? How stupid can you be? That's what Isaiah is saying there. 
How dumb can you be? Pretty dumb. And we all go, what a fool. What a fool. Here's the thing. You don't have to make an idol out of wood to be this stupid. All you have to do is put anything in the place of God that's not God. It's just as stupid. It's just as stupid. You look to something else to give you what only God can give you. We're all this stupid sometimes. Here's Keller again. If we look to some created thing, as opposed to the creator, if we look to some created thing to give us, watch these words now, the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give us, it will eventually fail to deliver and will break our hearts. I'll take it a step further. It will do even more damage than that. Do you know what else it will do? If that created thing you're looking to to give you meaning and hope and happiness, if that created thing is a person, you know, maybe your spouse, maybe your child, maybe a friend. If you're looking to another person, a mere human, to give you the meaning and hope and happiness that only God himself can give, not only will they fail you, you will crush them with your expectations. You will crush them and probably destroy the relationship. The very thing that you want so badly You will lose if you make a God out of that person. Why? Because they can't bear the weight of your expectations and your demands. They just can't do it. They're not God. They cannot bear the weight of your worship. Any God who is not the real God cannot give you life. Any God who is not the real God cannot give you your true identity, your true purpose. Any God who is not the real God cannot satisfy your thirst, and you have a thirst for eternal joy. God put it in you. He put it in me. Any God who's not the real God can't satisfy that thirst. And worst of all, Any God who's not the real God cannot solve your biggest problem and my biggest problem. There's only one who can do this. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot here and we're going to need to look at this more closely in weeks to come. But for now, just know the Bible's very clear about this. Apart from the gracious intervention of the real God, the living and true God, apart from the Son of God dying in our place and taking on himself the justice we deserve for our sin and rising from the dead, apart from that, we face a desperately unhappy future. 
Jesus came to rescue us from the justice we deserve and to give us hope for an amazing future. This is where it begins to connect now the dots to our our series. So this is reason number three why idolatry is so bad. Unreal gods will deprive you of hope. They will deprive you of hope. They cannot give you the hope that you need. Not only will unreal gods disappoint you in this life sooner or later, they will disappoint you forever. Actually, the word disappoint is not nearly strong enough. An unreal God can do nothing to save you from eternal misery. An unreal God can do nothing to give you eternal joy, but the real God can. Jesus can and Jesus will, and He came to do it. He came to do it. He wants to do it. Jesus came to give hope to the hopeless. And he's the only one who can. Now, we're going to look at this more closely in weeks to come as well. But for now, just consider a few of these hope-giving promises. And these are all just from the Thessalonian letters. Chapter 2, verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you in a manner worthy of God, look at this, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory calls you into his kingdom and glory that is a promise to give us hope when you belong to jesus you get to look forward to this you get to look forward to the time when he comes as king and he manifests his kingdom fully and you get to see and participate in his glory everywhere chapter 4 verse 17 when jesus returns We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, that is, with believers who have died, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord Jesus in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's glorious. That's future. That's hope. Jesus gave us that promise to give us hope. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 is the best of all. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how glorious is Jesus? And this is talking about not even just seeing his glory. This is actually participating in it, sharing in it, obtaining his glory. That's why we need to spend more time unpacking this. Because you guys should look a whole lot more happier than you do right now when you hear that. You guys should be like, Seriously, that's what this is meant to do. Give us that hope. An unreal God can't do that. An unreal God can't give you that hope. Jesus offers us this amazing future. Hope, but to have it, we must turn to Him. And turning to Him means we have to turn away from whatever else we're tempted to put in his place. It just can't work any other way. 
We've got to turn away from whatever unreal gods we're tempted to trust instead of him. Now, if you've never turned to him, if you're here today, and you know, even if you've been you've spent your whole life in church, growing up in church, and you know the words, you know how to say the right things and everything, but if you have never actually turned to Jesus to put your hope in him, your trust in him, to look to him for your ultimate satisfaction and joy, and instead you've been trusting in other things, whatever they might be, you could choose to turn today. You could do that today, even right now, or in a few minutes when we pray. You just have to realize Every human heart, including yours, is an idol factory. Our heart's just constantly looking for that thing to worship, to give ultimate value. Everybody worships. Even the most diehard atheist worships. There is someone or there is something that your heart wants to give first place to something you're trusting in to satisfy your longing for joy and to make your life worth living. And if it's not the living and true God, then it's an unreal God that cannot bear the weight of your worship. It will break your heart sooner or later, and it will deprive you of hope. So turn Turn, turn from the unreal God and receive the true and living God in the person of Jesus, in the person of the eternal Son. Ask Jesus to forgive you for your idolatry and to come in and rule over your heart, rule over your life, give you life, give you hope. He, he's the only one who can. If you've never turned, you can turn today. And if you have turned already, and many of you probably have, if you have turned to him, realize that that initial turning results in a lifetime of continual turning. This is not a once-for-all thing. Yeah, becoming a Christian is a once-for-all thing. But the hearts that we have have to constantly be directed by the power of his spirit and by our obedience to, to trust him and, and not not embrace idols. Okay, how do I know that? Well, Colossians 3.5, we looked at this earlier, which says we've got to put to death these various things, and one of them is greed, which is idolatry. That was written to Christians. That was written to people who know Jesus. So was this, 1 John 5.20. We know that the Son of God has come, John says, has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. This is all true. And then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the last, those are the last words of the book. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't let anything take that place of ultimate worship in your life. How do you do that? How do we not... Restate that. How do we guard our hearts from idols? Especially since the things we're tempted to idolize are usually very good things. 
Right? What if the thing you're tempted to give first place into your life is your spouse or your good friend or your children? Well, what do you do? Do you say, okay, I have to stop loving those people? Hey, you can't do that. God commands us to love them. We have to love them. Okay, but how do you not love them too much? Is that even possible? Well, here's what I think the answer is. It's what I believe. The answer is not so much to love them less, it's to learn to love God more. Learn to love God more. Notice verse 9. He says, you turned to God from idols. They weren't just saying, yeah, these idols are worthless, we're done with that. No, they were turning to God. It was the turning to God that turned them away from idols. I don't think the order there, I don't think that's insignificant. It is by turning to God that we stop worshiping other things. Keller says it like this. The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit God is to turn back to the true one. The way to not love something too much is to love God more. So here's a couple practical ways of doing that. First, whenever you're tempted to worship any of God's good gifts, remember they are gifts. Remember they are gifts from him. The gifts are good because the giver is good. So look past the gift and see the giver. Look past the gift and see the giver. You know, whatever it is that makes you, you know, whatever it is about that gift that makes you love that gift, okay, that's just a reflection. It's just an echo of the giver. It's good because he's good. So develop the discipline of consciously thanking him every time you enjoy his good gifts. This is one reason why, you know, when we gather together for a meal, we're to give thanks. Why? Because remember, God gave that good gift. So anytime you enjoy one of his gifts, try to develop the discipline of thanking him consciously for that gift. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Now Paul's talking about food there, but I think it applies to all of God's gifts. And second, this is going to seem really obvious. Do you know what? We really need to be reminded of obvious truths sometimes. Here it is. Spend time with him. Spend time with the living and true God. Why? Because you can't love someone you don't know. You cannot love someone you don't really know. God has done so much so that we can know him. He's done so much. He's revealed himself in his creation. Sometimes you just need to go take a walk in the woods and remember how great God is in the beauty of his creation, even though it's fallen, even though it's cursed. He has revealed himself in his word. He has told us repeatedly who he is and what he's like. We looked at this last time. He said to Moses, showing Moses' glory, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's who God is. He's told us who he is. And above all, the living and true God took on humanity so we could know him. 
John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came as apostles, as eyewitnesses, Psalm, and then they told us exactly what he's like. So spend time with him. Jesus said, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. You want to see the Father? You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Ask him. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart to see his glory so that you'll love him more than his gifts. Let's pray and ask him to do that for us. And again, I say, if you've never turned to him, you can do it right now and just say, Lord Jesus, I've never truly asked you to be my God, to be the one who makes my life worth living, the one who gives me ultimate joy and hope, and I need you to be my God. I'm sorry for worshiping other things that are not worthy of my worship. Come into me. Come into my life. Be my God. Father, if there's someone who needs to ask you to do that, I pray they would, you would give them the wisdom, the courage, the boldness to do that right now. And Lord, for, for all of us who have taken that step, but Lord, we, we find that our hearts get drawn to other things that we're tempted to idolize and give first place to. God, keep us from that. Help us love you more. And help us do what we need to do to learn how to love you more. Show us who you are in Jesus. Open the eyes of our heart that we might love you supremely. We ask for your mercy to do this for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.